Good morning, and welcome to the radio broadcasts of the Brinesburg Missionary Baptist Church. Mountain for a thirsty soul, he is the healer and so. It's a hand that hung this old world in place, a hand that was scarred just to
In a shameful gambling game Won the bloodstained garment That once had clothed my king A cheap robe of linen No great value did it hold But when worn by the master it was worth more than gold. You see, a few days before, why this old robe had changed the life of a tired and helpless woman who believed with all her might she reached out with hope to be restored She knew this plain old garment was the vesture of the Lord And God is His common garments to do
You see, it's what he can make you to be. For if God can take an old common garment and change a life, then surely he can use
there's a line that's been drawn through the ages. On that line stands an old rugged cross. And on that cross, a battle is raging for the gain of man's soul or its loss. On one side march the forces of evil, all the demons and all the devils of hell. And on the other, the angels of glory. And they meet on Calgatha's hill. The earth shakes with the force of the conflict. The sun, it refuses to shine. For there hangs God's sign in the balance. And then through the darkness he cries. It is finished. The battle is over. It is finished. There'll be no more war. It is finished. The end of the conflict. It is finished. And Jesus is Lord. Yet still raging not all prisoners of war had come home these were battlefields of my own making I didn't know that the war had been won the king of the ages had fought all life's battles for me and that victory victory was mine for the claiming and now praise his name
Today you'll be listening to the message preached at Bryansburg Missionary Baptist Church during our Sunday morning worship service. May God bless you as you listen to his message. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 10 this morning, his saving work. As we go there, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we are so excited today. Your spirit is moving. Uh, Lord, there is joy in this place. Lord, we have witnessed three individuals give that beautiful, beautiful testimony of believer's baptism. And Lord, we're so thankful for the way that you're still working and still moving. And I've got some friends here today that I've been praying for uh, for quite some time, and they're lost. They don't have a relationship with you. Lord, help them to listen right now. Help them not be distracted. Help them to know that, yes, I am talking about them right now. And I pray that the gospel will be very clear to them as we go step by step through it the way that Paul made it clear to the Ephesians. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We see here in this first chapter of Ephesians, we have been listening to Paul as he has made this magnificent demonstration of the glory of God. And we see there beginning in verse 3 all the way through verse 14, Paul is engaging in worship. He begins to praise God for everything that he has done to save us and to bless us in Jesus. And in this long anthem of praise that ascends the heights of God's grace and glory, Paul praises all three members of the Trinity for their part in salvation. And so a couple of weeks ago, we saw that in in verses 3 through 6, Paul praises God the Father for his sovereign work in salvation. And then we're going to see this morning in verses 7 through 10 that he praises God the Father, uh, uh, praises God the Son, I mean, for his saving work in salvation. And then next week we'll see in verses 11 through 14, Paul praises God the Spirit for his sharing work in salvation. And so in our passage this morning, Paul moves from God's work in the past to his work right now in the present. Paul moves from how God's plan was formulated in eternity past to how that plan is being carried out in the present, in today. And so Paul moves from praising God for his sovereign work in eternity past as he elected and predestined and formed the body of Christ to how he brings that body together in real time that we're living in. And so up to now, we have been looking back. In these verses, we're going to be able to begin looking around at what God is doing. And so the verse before us today, these verses present us uh, even more reasons to praise God. And these verses, as in verses that came before, Paul continues to reveal all the riches of God's grace that are ours in Jesus Christ. And so I want you to see this morning why God is worthy to be praised for his great work in salvation. And so we will please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word and begin with me here 
in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning there in verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. You may be seated. The first thing we see here is beginning in verse 7. We see God is to be praised for his redemption. When I was a young boy, um, I used to love the fact that, that my mom and dad would buy the real uh, glass bottles of Coke. Can you remember the real glass bottles of Coke? You can still get them. But that used to be basically how you got your Coke. It was in the real glass bottles. But it wasn't just the opportunity to get a real glass bottle of Coke that I liked. Uh, we lived in Murray, and in, and in Kroger, in the back left corner of Kroger, there was a little window, and, and you could put your, your six bottles of Coke and the little boxes that came in inside that window, and it was the redemption window. You could redeem those bottles for five cents apiece, and it doesn't take you long back in the 80s to, uh, that was a long time ago, um, doesn't take you long to be able to afford a candy bar, and that's all I cared about. And so I loved the redemption window. I loved to redeem those bottles because at mom and dad's house, they were trash. You could just throw them in the garbage. But if you saved them up and you took them to that particular window, they could be redeemed for something like money in my pocket, which I really liked. So redemption, though, is one of the central themes in the Bible. And when we experience redemption, there is far more going on here than just simply trading one item for another. Redemption isn't a trade. We don't collect enough points to get God to let us off the hook. Redemption is a gift from God, a gift that God gives us based on nothing that we have to return to him because we have nothing to return. And so while redemption is a gift to us, we need to understand that redemption was not free. It cost God far more than we could ever imagine. And so take a few minutes with me here to examine God's redemption. And as we do so, we will come to understand why God is to be praised for his redemption. And so the first part of this is the character of his redemption. The idea of redemption was a common one in the ancient world. In fact, in the Roman Empire during the time of Paul, there were as many as five million slaves the buying and the selling of slaves was actually a huge business. In fact, it was not uncommon for a family member or for a friend to seek to release a slave that they cared about. And so to make that happen, the individual would purchase that slave for himself, and then they would grant that slave his or her freedom. The one releasing the slave would give the released one a certificate stating that they had been redeemed and released from slavery because the price had been paid. It had been paid by another, but it was proof that the price had been paid. That document was proof that the former slave was now free based upon another 
paying the price. Paul says we have redemption. And so this means that those who are saved have been released from their slavery. Every person born into the world since Adam's fall in the Garden of Eden is a slave. Now you may not think it this morning, but you, if you're not saved this morning, are a slave. You are a slave to sin. No one is free. No one is free from sin or from its consequences. Every man born since Cain came into the world has been born with a sinful nature. Every baby that comes into the world, it's hard for us to think about this, is born with a nature that is defiled and corrupt and evil and completely separated from a holy God. None of us, not one of us, comes into this world holy. Every single person is born into this world as a slave to sin, facing the same fate. We are destined to die. Death is the ultimate consequence of our slavery to sin. And so every person in this world is a sinner by birth. Each of us is also guilty of committing sins. We are sinners by nature, but we are also sinners by choice. It's not like we would say, well, you know, if I had my choice, I just would never sin. No. Outside of a relationship with Christ, we choose to sin. We love to sin. We revel in sin. So according to Jesus, because we are sinners, we are also slaves to our sin. John 8, 34, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant to sin. Another thing that we learn throughout Scripture is that sin is a very cruel taskmaster. It enslaves us, and it enslaves its victims and demands a high price for the release. It demands death as the price to be paid. Death is the price that had to be paid for man's redemption. And so that is exactly the price Jesus paid when he went to that cross on Calvary's hill. He liberated us from our sins by paying the price and paying it in full. Jesus gave himself the innocent for the guilty that the guilty might go free. And so listen to how the New Testament describes what Jesus did for us. In Galatians 1, 3-4, Grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Galatians 3, 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Galatians 5, 1, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and, not, and, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness that hath trans, translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And then the writer to the Hebrews tells us in chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Church, when Jesus Christ died in your place on that cross, he literally redeemed us from our sin. He shed his blood. To satisfy God's just demands for sin. He accomplished everything that was necessary to secure your freedom. You didn't do any of it. He did it all. 
And so if you look at some of the verses that speak of redemption, you'll begin to get an idea of all God did for us when, when Jesus died for our sins. Revelation 5, 9. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou, hast sl- for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by his blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. The word redeemed here means to do business in the marketplace, to purchase something for oneself. And so the idea is a person who enters into that marketplace to purchase a slave. That is what Jesus did when he died on that cross. He entered the marketplace of sin and he paid full market price for sin, purchasing us for himself. He paid it all. But then Galatians 4, 5 says, To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. The word redeem here is the same word used in Revelation 5, 9. The the word means to purchase something for oneself in the marketplace. And then, and then, forever, that something from the sale is secure. So not just to purchase it to say, okay, I'm going to purchase it and sometime later I might get tired of it. This is the idea of it being purchased for eternity. It is forever the ones who purchased it. So when Jesus redeemed us, He not only paid the price for our redemption, but he forever removed us from the auction block. We can never be sold again. We are his. And as a result, we are purchased in him and we are his for eternity. He owns us and he never intends to allow us to be enslaved or sold again for any reason. We are his forever, secure in him. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 18 and 19 tells us, For as much as ye know that ye were redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Here the word redeemed in in verse 18 means to release a slave after the payment of the purchase price. And so this is what Paul wants us to see in in verse 7. Jesus came into the world and he died on the cross of Calvary and he shed his sinless blood, perfect blood for us on that day. His shed blood forever satisfies God Almighty. Jesus Christ purchased his bride. Jesus Christ forever removed his bride from the auction block. We are secure eternally in him. We're never going to be placed up for sale again. And then the Lord Jesus Christ set her free from the bondage of her sin, delivering her from sin's power. He set her free from the penalty of her sin. He set her free so that she could live a new life of glory to his name. And so that, church, is the nature of redemption. I wonder, have you ever experienced its power in your life? Have you ever been redeemed from the power of sin and set free to serve the Lord? If you have been redeemed, you have plenty of reasons to praise and to worship and honor the Lord who bought you with his precious blood. But then I also want you to see the cost of his redemption. 
the redemption we have been given in Jesus Christ is free for the taking. Anyone who will believe can be saved, and we are saved without cost. While the redemption the Lord gives his people is free, it was anything but cheap. You see, this verse reminds us that we have been redeemed, that we have redemption through his blood. It's through the blood of Jesus. The hour you came to Jesus, you did not have to bring a payment in your hand. You didn't bring a dove. You didn't bring a lamb. You didn't bring a bull. All you needed was faith in his death and in his resurrection. When you believed on him by faith, you were saved by grace. It didn't cost you a dime. It was free. However, it cost the Lord Jesus Christ absolutely everything he had. The price for your redemption was his precious blood. And when Jesus died on that cross for the innocent, the innocent was dying for for the guilty. He who had no sin was dying for those who only had sin. And when Jesus died shedding his blood on that cross, he satisfied all the just demands of Almighty God regarding sin. Now God is satisfied completely. And so millions of gallons of blood had been shed during the time of the tabernacle and then later during the time of the temple. And all that blood had not been able to take away one single solitary sin. Not one of them was taken away. All that blood did was to cover over the sin for a season. As if you had written with with permanent ink and the blood was poured over that, but eventually it would pour off and that ink would still be there. But when Jesus Christ shed his perfect blood on the cross, he did what that blood, the blood of animals, could never do. When he shed his blood, his blood was the perfect sacrifice. He was a perfect man giving his perfect blood for us. His blood was the blood of a man who was free from sin. His blood was the only blood that could pay the debt created by Adam when he sinned in Eden. And when Jesus shed his blood, he forever settled the sin problem for all those who will believe on him. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14 says, And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting until his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. In 1 John 4.10, it says, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and he sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so the word propitiation means that which satisfies. Jesus paid for our sins, and God was forever satisfied. When sinners come to him for salvation, there is nothing left to pay. It has been paid already. Jesus paid it all, and the lost sinner receives new life, forgiveness of sins, and adoption into God's family without cost. And so come to him, and there will never be a fee to be paid because it has been paid in full. Come to him, and salvation will be freely given. Come to him, and he will save your eternal soul and give you everlasting life. And forgiveness of that sin. But also we see the cause. The cause of his redemption. The cause of his redemption. Paul tells us that his redemption flows to us. According to the riches of his grace. Because God has set 
his grace upon us, he set in motion a plan to save us. Everything God has done in Jesus Christ comes to us according to the riches of his grace. I want you to think about it this way. If we were to come in this morning and I told you we have a, a, a need to, to take up a, a, a large special offering. We have a, a new ministry, a new mission, and I need everyone to give, and I need everyone to give a lot. And so as we're passing around the plate, there is a millionaire sitting amongst us who gives $20 in the offering. They are giving out of their riches, out of. Just about anyone in here could do the same thing. Most any of us could reach into our pocket and we could dig out $20 to give. But if that millionaire, instead of giving $20, was to give $20,000, they would be giving according to their riches. Because, I don't know about you, but I can't do that. I don't have it in my account to write you a check for $20,000. The bank would say, sorry, not there. But the millionaire, the millionaire is giving according, according to his riches. Do you see the difference? God has not given us a redemption that has limits. But he has given us a redemption that knows no limits. Think about it. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He adopted us, us into his family. He changed our lives. He has determined that he will be that we will be with him in his heaven someday where he will make us like Jesus. And he did it all just because it brought him pleasure. God has given us all of us great riches according to the riches of his grace. Not out of, but according to and so if he merely saved us from our sin until we sinned again, that would be a redemption that came out of the riches of his grace. If he set us on the road to heaven and he, he told us to get there the best way we knew how, that would be a redemption that was out of the riches of his grace. When God redeemed us, he did not do it part way though. He did not set limits on his grace towards us. When he redeemed us, he did it according to the riches of his grace. And that means that we cannot sin beyond his grace. That means that we cannot sin beyond his love. It means that we have been saved to the uttermost. And that God continues to lavish his grace upon us from eternity to eternity. And that's why we are told that God is to be praised for his redemption. But then secondly, look with me at verses 6 and 7. God is to be praised for the results. Jesus Christ died, died for our sins and, and he made a way for sinners to be saved and he gave us love and he gave us life and he did all that simply because he set his grace and his love upon us. And he, doesn't, he, he, he does not charge us anything for it. He does not expect anything from us in exchange for the redemption that he gave to us. The redemption that God offers us through Jesus Christ does far more than just buy us back from slavery to sin. The redemption that we have been given in Jesus provides some glorious benefits that change our lives and our eternities. We see there in verse 7, the redeemed have been released. Paul tells us that 
the redeemed enjoy the forgiveness of sins through the redemption that they have in Jesus. That word translated forgiveness refers to a pardon. When it comes to our sins, it means that our sins have been put away from us and they will never be remembered again. Human forgiveness is conditional. We may forgive, but we never forget. Human forgiveness always brings it back up. But that's not how forgiveness works with God. When, when the Lord gives us forgiveness, he, we're told that he casts it as far as the east is from the west. When John the Baptist testifies about Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That phrase, taketh away, means to carry off. When Jesus died for our sins upon the cross of Calvary, our sins were laid upon him. And he was judged in the place of us, his people. God judged him as if he were guilty of all those sins. And God extinguished his wrath in his body of his son when Jesus died on that cross. And so now, because of our sins have already been paid for, they can also be forgiven and put away when we come to Jesus by faith. As if it had never occurred. Again, imagine you wrote on that, on that same piece of paper, and now the precious blood of Jesus Christ has poured across it, and it has washed away to never be remembered again. But also we see... The redeemed have been reconciled. According to verse 6, we have been accepted in the beloved. The word accepted means to make agreeable. In our natural state, we are not agreeable to God. We are hateful to him. In Romans chapter 8, verse 6, it says, The carnal mind is enmity against God. It means that we are God's enemies. We are opposed to him and his ways. He is opposed to us and we abide eternally under his wrath and under his judgment. But when we come to Jesus and are redeemed, everything changes for us. Old wicked sinners like us are brought into a grace-filled relationship with God. Our sins are forgiven. Our stains are washed away in his blood. And even our very natures are changed through the new birth. God accepts us not as we are in ourselves, but as we have been made in Jesus. That verb phrase, accepted in the beloved, is in the perfect tense. And so it could read like this. I have been accepted, I stand accepted, and I will always be accepted in the beloved. The result of redemption in our lives are eternal, wonderful, and glorious. God is to be praised for the results of his grace and his love in our lives. And then thirdly, we see in verses 7 through 10, God is to be praised for his reasons. Surely, we can find ample reasons to praise God for his redemption. After all, his redemption delivers us from our sins and adopts us into his family. And surely we can praise him for the results of his redemption because we have been redeemed, our sins have been forgiven, and we have been made acceptable to God. And his redemptive work in our lives is something for which we can all praise the Lord. And as we think about our redemption, the obvious question that we must face is why? 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 Why does God redeem people from their sins? Why does he save them, forgive them, and make them his children? Why? Why is God so gracious to people who deserve hell and judgment and damnation? Why? And the answer to those questions are many, and most of them are shrouded in the mystery of God and in his perfect will. These verses give us a few truths that give us some answers to the why question. Every one of us. I want to know this why. And so we see the wonder of his grace in verse 7. Verse 7 says, In whom we have redemption according to the riches of his grace. So here Paul tells us that everything we have in Jesus flows to us from the bottomless well of his amazing grace. 
What is grace? Well, many times we say it's, it's God's riches at Christ's expense, or we might say that it's the unmerited love and favor of God for the undeserving. But the actual Greek word refers to goodwill, loving kindness, and favor. And so that is why grace is so amazing. That is why those who have received grace marvel at it so much. That is why some people stand and wonder when they consider God's grace. God, in his grace, set his love upon us when we did not deserve to be loved. God chose us in Jesus when he could have condemned us to hell and been completely right in doing so. God reached out to us in love, saves us when when he had every right to send us away. That is the wonder of God's grace, and that is what makes salvation so special. We have been given everything that God has to offer, and we deserve nothing. We have been brought out of death and into life. We have been adopted out of Adam and into Jesus. We have been delivered from hell, and now we have been set upon the road to heaven. And do you want to know what the wonder of God's grace is? The wonder of God's grace is that he would save the likes of us. That he would love us, choose us, call us, save us, keep us, bless us, honor us, use us, and adopt us. It's a wonderful thing. And I thank God for the wonder of his grace. But also we see the wonder of his glory in verses 8 and 9. Verse 9 tells us that God's redemptive plan flows from the mystery of his will. That he did what he did according to his good pleasure. And that God devised and carried out all of this because he purposed it in himself. In other words, God's whole redemptive plan exists to bring him glory. Every soul that is saved fulfills God's plan to redeem sinners and it brings him glory. Every soul that is saved is saved because God, in order to accomplish his plan, in order to advance his own glory, has revealed the deep things of God unto us. We see here in verse 8, tells us that God's grace has abounded toward us and has given us wisdom and prudence. Wisdom has the idea of, of sanctified knowledge. It's the ability to understand the things of God. And that word prudence refers to understanding and insight. And so it is through the wisdom and prudence that God has made known unto us the mystery of God's will. You see, God in his grace and for his own glory, has opened your eyes to the deep things of God and allowed you to see. He has allowed the redeemed to understand the matters of life on earth. He has allowed us to comprehend heaven and hell, time and eternity, the depth and the power, the influence of sin, and the fact of his love for us. He's allowed us to see those things and understand them. And all of those things are hidden from those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. They cannot understand. See, Jesus says it this way in Luke 10, 21. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and he said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hath revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. And Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. But as it is written... I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto, his, uh, uh, unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. And so, Brinesburg, God, for his own glory and purposes, opened the eyes 
and let us see the truth. He uses that truth to convict us of our sins and to draw us to Jesus. He used the truth to give us faith in order to believe. He used that truth to redeem us. And that makes him worthy to be praised. But also we see in verse 10 the wonder of his goal. In this verse, Paul reminds us that history is not meaningless or without purpose. He shows us that God has done everything that he has done to bring everything together in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has determined that he is to be the head of all things. In everything, Jesus is to have preeminence. He is to have first place. One day, the powers that control this world will fall at his feet and acknowledge him to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. One day, Satan will be judged by Jesus and he will be cast into a lake of fire. And one day, the Lord Jesus will reign upon this earth in glory and in power for a thousand years. The day is coming. There's a reason, there's a purpose for all of this. This word speaks of the dispensation of the fullness of time. That word dispensation has the idea of management, oversight, or, or administration. It refers to control. And so again, this verse reminds us that God is still in control in this world. He is working out a perfect plan that he devised before the world was ever even formed. And everything that takes place is part of that plan. And that one day, God will co- consummate that plan And Jesus will receive the glory and the honor and the worship that is due to him. And in the end, God will reveal Jesus Christ to be the head of all things and all people. The world may ignore him today. And the world acts like he doesn't matter. And the world may refuse to bow to him and to worship him and to obey him and to love him. This world appears to be spinning out of control. But that is merely how things appear to us. You see, our God is in control And when the time is right, he will demonstrate his great power through his son, Jesus Christ. And here is the wonder of all things. God has made us a part of his plan. He has a plan to exalt his son. And he has allowed us to be a part of that plan. And he has placed us in Jesus by grace through faith. And he has blessed us in Jesus with all spiritual blessings. And he has promised to keep us and and use us and allow us to reign with Christ one day and these things make him worthy of our praise and so Brinesburg in Christ we are wealthy people all spiritual blessings are ours in him these truths should cause us to bow before him in absolute submission these truths should cause us to worship and praise and honor him for his grace and and for his gifts and if you are in Jesus I wonder are you giving him obedience this morning Are you giving him reverence this morning? Are you giving him your love and all of your worship and all of your praise and all your desires that he deserves? Are you giving it all to him? Are you doing your part to accomplish God's plan of exalting Jesus Christ? And then secondly, this morning, if you're not saved, if you're not saved and you know you need to be redeemed, I wonder, would you come to him? He has done all of this to save you. He has done all of this of moving heaven and earth and, and coming and living a perfect sinless life and dying on the cross for your sins and, and rising again so that you might be adopted into the family. Why would you push him away? And some of you are sitting here for another service 
and listening to another sermon on, on salvation, and you're right now coming up for reasons of why you're going to just grip onto the pew in front of you and not come forward. Why are you putting it off another day? As our musicians come, what's the Lord speaking to you about? How is he calling you to, to come to him? Do you know him and you just need to just make that known and, and come to him and thank him for that at the altar today? Is there some need on your heart today? Or do you need to be saved today? Do you need to be rescued? Because you can't rescue yourself. Here in a moment as we stand and as we sing, I don't want you to wait for somebody else to come. I don't want you to say, well, if somebody comes and prays, I'll make a decision. Or if someone else comes and gets saved, I'll make a decision. There's spiritual warfare going on. And God wants you personally to come. So don't wait for somebody else. You be the one to come. You be the one to be changed. Lord, Heavenly Father, you know the decisions that need to be made this morning. You know the hearts that have been touched and, and they need to be changed for eternity. And so, Lord, we give this time over to you. You do the work that only you can do in hearts and lives. And we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise in advance for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we're standing as we sing, would you respond? Thank you for listening to our broadcast today from Bryansburg Missionary Baptist Church. If you need spiritual help with your relationship with the Lord, please call 270-527-3757. Also, we would like to invite you to attend our services. On Sunday morning, Sunday school begins at 10 a.m. and our worship service is at 11 a.m. On Sunday evening, discipleship training begins at 5 p.m. with our worship service at 6 p.m. You may also view our Sunday worship services live on Mediacom Inspiration Channel 93. On Wednesday night, our worship service begins at 7 p.m. Once again, thanks for listening, and may God bless you and your family.